morning. It, uh, it really is good to, uh, to be with you here again. Um, if, um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis 47. We'll be in Genesis 47 in a minute. Um, for those of you that, uh, that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting yet, my name is Steve Curry. I'm one of the pastors at, uh, at Frontline Church in Edmond. And, um, and we at Frontline have just a really warm place in our hearts for you and for this church. Um, oftentimes on Sunday, we will use our intercession time to pray for sacred mission. And uh, the, the example that you guys are of loving one another, loving your community, loving Jesus really well, um, challenges us. I mean, it calls us up in Jesus. So, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for being who you are um, in this community in central Iowa. So uh, Genesis 47, and I want to read the first six verses here. Uh, so Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen, and if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Well, let's go to the Lord and ask him to, um, to help us today as we, as we look into these verses. Father, we're, we're grateful for your word. Your word really is a, um, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, I pray that, that as we look into your word today, that you would speak to us, Lord that you would help us to hear the words that we need to hear for today. These won't just be words on a page or words on a screen, but Lord, there'll be things that are written in our hearts. Father, we're, we're your people. We desire to please you. We desire to walk with you. And so, Lord, I just ask you to help us to take the next step in you today. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, um, the first time, or the last time, that, uh, that I spoke here at Sacred Mission, we had just started the book of Genesis, and now we're only three chapters from the end um, of the whole book. And as we pick up in chapter 47, it's as if this story has been a long uphill climb that's been going on for 46 chapters, and now it crests over a plateau. So what do I mean by that? Well, the characters that we've been following for the last 20 chapters, uh, Jacob, Joseph, the brothers, um, they have come to a new place of resolution and a new place of peace. Joseph couldn't be promoted any higher unless he was made Pharaoh. Okay? Um, there's been reconciliation between these brothers uh, who had caused Joseph so much suffering. His, his um, extended family is now with him. Um, Jacob has his family there. They're all together. Um, 
And as we continue through this chapter of 47, we see Pharaoh's dream, which Joseph had interpreted for Pharaoh, coming to pass. The famine that had only been in Canaan now spreads into Egypt, but because God had prepared them through that dream and that interpretation, um, not only Jacob's family, but all of Egypt is preserved uh, through this famine. So everybody's happy. Uh, Pharaoh's happy. His nation is being preserved through all of this. Joseph is happy. He has attained almost unlimited power, and he's been restored to his family. Jacob is happy. He has his son back, and they're all together now in Egypt. And even the Egyptians are happy. They're happy just to be alive while there's this famine that's taking out so many people around them. So the whole story has kind of plateaued onto this place. And if we look back from this plateau, um, a kind of a plateau of peace, there's a lot for us to remember as we look back in Genesis. The Garden of Eden uh, with all of its perfection, the unbroken relationship between that, that first man, that first woman, and their God, and then altogether too quickly, um, their rebellion, which not only caused their fall, um, but the fall of all nature. Um, but then God does what? He kills an animal and he clothes their nakedness, which was a picture or a symbol of what Jesus would be doing on the cross uh, many years in the future. Um, then we see the first man who was actually born into the world, Cain, killing his brother. Uh, only six chapters in, and all of humanity has, has become so corrupt that God destroys every living thing with the exception of Noah, his family, and the animals that were preserved on the ark. Then in Genesis chapter 11, we get introduced to a man named Abram, a man whom God chose to bless and, um, and draw to himself. A few chapters later, God makes a covenant with Abram and changes his name to Abraham. Abraham ultimately has a child of promise, Isaac. And when Isaac is grown, his wife, Rebekah, gives birth to two sons, Esau and Jacob. And through a series of, uh, of really calculated deceptions, Jacob winds up getting his brother's birthright and his blessing. But because Jacob sowed deception, he also reaped deception with his father-in-law, as well as experiencing a lot of brokenness in his own family. Well, we've also seen uh, Jacob's favorite son, Joseph, this coddled young man um, who is resented by his brothers. He has a dream from the Lord, and, and he kind of unwisely shares that dream with his brothers who are already jealous of him, and um, it doesn't go over well. Uh, the majority vote is to go ahead and kill him, um, but his, his eldest brother, Reuben, intervenes, and so instead of being killed, he's sold into slavery. So um, after, after th um, 13 years of this school of suffering, where, where um, Joseph is, is first a slave and then a prisoner uh, in, in what you can only imagine an Egyptian prison would be like, um, God elevates him out of that. Uh, but it didn't take God very long to do that. It took him about as long as it took to, uh, to take a bath, shave, and put on clean clothes. And there's, there's really um, an encouraging lesson in that for us. 
Uh, because sometimes we find ourselves in really hard circumstances. Sometimes we find ourselves in hard circumstances that the Lord leads us into. But when it's time to move us out of those hard circumstances, it doesn't take God a long time. About enough time to shave and shower, and, uh, and, and he can elevate you to where you need to be. But as these people look back over this story, the overarching theme for them was God's love for them and his faithfulness to them. They could look back and see God's faithfulness in sending Joseph ahead to preserve life. He preserved both nations by, by winding up in Egypt. Um, they, uh, Jacob could see God's mercy in working with him his whole life to unwind his twisted character. All the sons could see that in spite of their murderous intentions towards Joseph, that God had forgiven them and God had softened Joseph's heart towards them. And if they turned uh, from their past and they looked forward into their future in Egypt, it looked really good, really did. Um, in, as Genesis 47 closes, we hear this, Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And they all lived happily ever after. The end. Except if you read only eight verses into the first chapter of the next book of the Bible, Exodus, you find out why that happily ever after never really materialized. Now there arose in a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And that new king was not happy with God blessing the nation of Israel within the nation of, of Egypt. So that king attempts a genocide against all the Hebrew baby boys, which is actually another uh, symbol or picture of what would happen when Jesus was born. And then he enslaves the Israelites for the next 400 years. Now, 400 years. I think that's kind of hard for us to get our minds around 400 years. If we think about our own history and we go back 400 years, that's 1624. In 1624, it would be another 152 years before the Declaration of Independence would be signed. See? before America even became its own nation. 400 years is a, a really, really long time. But during this plateau time uh, in, in uh, Genesis chapter 47, Jacob, Joseph, and really not even Pharaoh could see everything that was getting ready to happen that was on the horizon. So these are all really good historical facts, but what is the application for us today in Collins. Well, one thing I think is that, that we are currently, by leaving an old year and entering into a new year, we have our own sort of plateau time, a time when we look back and we look forward. Uh, we tend to reflect on where we've been, and then we, we look forward to what we think uh, the next year will be. So, um, uh, some people do that by looking forward by making New Year's resolutions. 
um, there was a, a study that was done that said that about 45% of Americans make New Year's resolutions. Um, resolutions about what we're going to eat, resolutions about the exercise that we're going to get, uh, maybe our spending habits, and, and so forth. Um, gym memberships go up by 150% in January. <laughs> That's New Year's resolutions. Um, but that same poll shows us that by July, only 8% of those people are actually doing what they resolve to do in January. Um, even for those of us that don't make New Year's resolutions, I think there's a tendency for us to look back, kind of hit the total button on the last year, look back over that year and say, yeah, what happened this year? And what am I looking forward to um, in this next year? So that's what we wanted to really have our takeaway from Genesis 47 this morning is looking forward and looking back. And, and we want to do that for us. I have um, a friend who has a little bit different take on looking forward than New Year's resolutions. Um, he spends the last two weeks of the old year praying and asking God to give him a little bit of direction, a word for, for the next year. And I always enjoyed um, hearing what it was he was hearing because he heard some really good stuff. And so I remember one year uh, going to him and saying, well, um, what, what are you hearing for this next year? And he said, well, I believe that the Lord is saying that um, I have some good news for you and I have some bad news. First, the good news. Whatever you plant in your life this next year is going to bear fruit a hundredfold. Now for the bad news. Whatever you plant in your life this next year is going to bear fruit a hundredfold. So be really careful what you plant. Now, I know that I am kind of preaching to the choir when I talk about corn to people in Iowa. Uh, but if you take that one kernel of corn and you put it in the ground, it's going to germinate and you're going to get a stalk. And then all things being equal, you're going to get an ear of corn. And that, but that ear of corn will have roughly 800 kernels on it. So that's, a, that's an 800-fold multiplication. And so that was what this word really was. Um, it's a good word for us this morning, too. So if we sow to love, to joy, peace, patience, all the, the fruit of the Spirit, what God says is you're going to get that back multiplied many times over. At the same time, if we sow to pride, to envy, um, to covetousness, uh, to, um, you know, uh, all kinds of things that are the fruit of the flesh, then we're going to reap that too, okay? So we need to be careful uh, how we plant. When King David wrote in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, he was looking forward to the new, to the next step or two that, uh, that he would be taking. Now, notice how limited David's view was of his own future. God wasn't illuminating everything around David. What he was illuminating was the next step or two on his path. Why would God do that with David? See, David is a guy that the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. 
If he was a man after God's own heart, why wouldn't God show him more than just the next step or two? And the bigger question for us this morning is, why doesn't he do it for us? See, why doesn't he show us? I think all of us, would, if we took a vote, would say, yeah, I'd like to see a little more than the next step or two. Um, why doesn't he do that? Well, I think that the, um, the easy answer to that is that if God this morning told each of us all that he was going to do with us in 2024, the next time he would hear from us would be this time next year when we want to hear the projection for 2025. <laughs> the, um, the old hymn says it really well, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And so in his mercy towards us, knowing how we are, uh, and his desire for relationship with us, he keeps us daily and hourly dependent upon him for the light to take the next step or two without stumbling. God's word, both his written word, the Bible, and the words that he speaks to our hearts are the things that illuminate um, the, the path before us. So that's really a great motivation for us to be constantly marinating in God's word in the Bible and also for us to just be spending time with him, listening, time waiting on him. Um, have you ever worried or wondered about the parable of the persistent widow that's described in uh, Luke 18? Let's read that passage together. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. So listen to the first and last verse there. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? You hear how relational those verses are? Um, praying and not losing heart, crying out continually day and night. Father is looking for relationship with us, for relationship with his kids. And it helps us to stay relational and not get transactional with him by him only illuminating the path immediately before us. Now, actually, God does occasionally show people long-term direction. He, he does that occasionally. Uh, remember when he took Abraham out under the night sky and he said, look up. Uh, he said, um, your descendants will be like the stars of the heavens. Now, how many of you can see that getting from where Abraham was at that moment to where his descendants are like the stars of the heaven was not a straight line at all? Uh, that line zigged and zagged and curved uh, through a famine, through Egypt, through slavery, through 40 years in a wilderness, uh, through uh, conquest of Canaan, through good kings, through bad kings, through a teenage peasant girl 
uh, who conceived by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to the Messiah through the cross, through the resurrection, through Peter, James, and John, uh, through the Dark Ages, through the Reformation, through the Great Awakening, and hey, through the Jesus Movement, see? And that line is still zigging and zagging today, and it will until the last trumpet sounds. See? Um, but it never was a straight line. And because Abraham thought that it would be a straight line, um, and it wasn't happening, he decided to uh, get involved with Hagar, and, and it was a bad idea. You, you remember that story. Um, but it wasn't a straight line at all. It went all over the place. Um, Abraham was the first of the Adonai worshipers. See, he was the first in the nation of Israel. Um, three generations later, when they went to Egypt, there were 70 of them. By the time they left Egypt, 400 years later, there were a million and a half of them. When Jesus came to live that life that we were supposed to live but never did, and then die the death that we deserved, and then be resurrected in, in newness of life, um, a lot more of us got grafted into God's family. So today, alive in the world, there are 8 billion people. Of those 8 billion people, 2.4 billion of those people confess that Jesus is Lord. That's a lot of people. Um, yes, we're a motley crew. We are. I mean, some of us dress funny. Some of us talk funny. Um, you know, we act goofy. Um, in fact, the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church to look around and consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So those are our credentials. Uh, not wise, not powerful, not of noble birth, foolish, weak, and lowly. See, that, that ought to make you guys feel better about hanging out with me because that's my resume. <laughs> that's it. Uh, so um, what can we expect this coming year as far as light on our path? I think what we can expect is light for the next step or two. What about looking back? What if we look back? What does the Bible have to say about looking back? Listen to these verses. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. So both of those verses talk about remembering. But what exactly are we supposed to remember? Psalm says to remember all that God has done and the work of his hands. So as we look back, we're told to remember all that our Heavenly Father has done. So why is it important for us to remember all that God has done? Um, there's a colloquialism that, that came out of Florida, but if you spend any time in Louisiana, it, you'll recognize it. It says, when you're up to your armpits and alligators, it's difficult to remember that your initial objective was to drain the swamp. Okay? Now, another way to say that is that life has a way of turning out very differently 
than we anticipated and unexpected difficulties pop up that make it really hard for us to remember what we're supposed to be doing. And when, not if, but when that happens, it'll be really important for us to remember him who never leaves us and never forsakes us. We'll remember not only what he did for these people in Genesis, but we'll remember his kindness towards us throughout our whole life. Amen. <laughs> so over and over in the Old Testament, God's people were told to build monuments. Monuments that memorialize something that God had done. And then later, when their enemies were at the gate, or when they found themselves in other difficult circumstances, they could look back at that pile of rock and they could say, God undertook for us. Um, baptism is actually one of those memorials for us. Um, when we are baptized, we have a point in time where we passed from death into life. We, we were buried with him in baptism and raised with him in newness of life. And then when the enemy comes and he says, you know, you really haven't changed at all. We can say, oh, yes, there's that, that pile of rock that I built up in baptism. And, um, and that tells me, that's my memorial that reminds me that I have passed from death into newness of life. Well, there are other things that we can do to help us to remember too. One of the things that I do is um, I have a habit of recording in the notes section of my iPhone um, things that God shows me in the scripture. I just put those things in there. Um, when, he, when I have a dream that I feel like is something significant from the Lord, I enter that into my notes. Um, when, um, uh, you know, when I see an answer to prayer, something that I prayed and God did it, I put that in my notes. And then later, when I'm in a hard place and it's really hard for me to see where God is in my current circumstances, I go back and I read those things. And those are, the, those are my memorial. Those are my pile of rocks that remind me that, um, that he has never yet abandoned me and he's not going to start now. Okay? Um, this theme of remembering is the heart of another one of the familiar psalms. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So the psalmist is in, is in a really hard place. He's not just thirsty, he's dying of thirst. Um, thirst for the presence of God, um, thirst for the closeness of the Lord. And all the while, the enemy is sneering at him and saying, so where's your God? Listen, though, to where the writer goes. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He begins to remember, remembering those times when he did experience the presence of God, when, when he did experience God's nearness. And then he begins to exhort his own soul. Why are you cast down within me? 
you know, what's, what's going on in there? Hope in God. I will again praise him. So he, he first remembers and then he exhorts himself um, based on what he remembers of God's faithfulness. Okay, so now before I get people emailing me and telling me that God also encourages us to forget some things, let's talk about what we're supposed to forget. Um, one of the notable forgetting verses is in Philippians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 5, Paul talks about his own pedigree. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. See, that's literally a super Jew. Um, he says, I'm a Pharisee. I'm a zealous person, was a zealous persecutor of the church. And according to the law, blameless. What would it be like to be able to say, according to the law, blameless? Well, that's what Paul said about himself. But then in verse 8, he says that he counts all of that as garbage in comparison with knowing Jesus. Then in verse 13, he goes on, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul was going to forget some things. He would forget his own righteousness and he was going to get, forget his own shame. Paul had a lot to be proud of. He did. And he had a lot of shame. What must it have been like for Paul um, to live with the knowledge that he had caused some believers in Jesus to recant their faith and say, Caesar is Lord? See, what, what would it have been like for him to have the knowledge that he did that? Or that he had caused some men, women, and children to die for their faith in Jesus. Um, you know, Paul had a lot to forget. We have a lot to forget, too. Each of us have things that were actually gifts that were given to us that if we're not careful, we treat them as if they were things that we had earned. Um, things like our IQ. We didn't have anything to do with our IQ. We just were born with a certain IQ. Our, our natural athletic prowess or the lack thereof. See, those were things that we didn't earn that. It just happened. See, the family that we were born into, we had nothing to do with that. Those were things that were gifts to us that we have to be careful that we don't claim as something that we earned. And each of us also have things to be ashamed of things we would like to forget. And like Paul, we're called to forget all of that and instead remember our Father's faithfulness and his, to us and his love for us. That's what will carry us through um, and so that like Paul, at the end of his life, we'll be able to say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith, Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So, today, we get to look forward to the next step or two in this new year. And we get to look back and remember our Father's faithfulness um, that has carried us through to this point and will continue to carry us through into this new year.
So stand with me and let's pray. Father, we, we do recognize um, how faithful you have been to us, Lord. There, there is so much that we can look back to. And um, with just the knowledge that without your presence, um, we wouldn't have made it. We wouldn't be here today without your presence. And we thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that for whatever reason that we can't understand, that you set your favor on us. So, Lord, as we, as we look back at, um, at 2023, we could look back further than that, but if we just limit it to 2023 and your faithfulness to us in 2023, thank you so much, Father. And, Lord, as we, as we look forward into this new year, um, help us, Lord, to, um, to be patient. Help us to be okay with only seeing the next step or two. And Lord, let that drive us into relationship with you. Um, let that drive us into spending time in your presence, in your word, and, and also in prayer that, um, that we really can come to know you better. Father, we're your kids, and, and we just volunteer, Lord, to be um, all that you desire us to be in this coming year. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.